Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Uh, it's awesome. I was, I was praying last, last night, early this morning, and um, God just put something... I first just saw, and this doesn't happen often, but like a picture, an image... I know it's beginning of a new year and sometimes, you know, you see an image of a new day dawning. That wasn't it. It was like this black sky, but then this incredibly bright light rising. And so I began to just pray about that and I, I had not preconceived, I haven't, hadn't read this passage, but I believe this is for Pastor, Pastor Phil and Christopher, for you, but, but for Shiloh. Isaiah chapter 60. So this is not my message this morning. This, this part's free. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1. Let me read these verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And I don't know about you, but there's an incredible darkness. I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an incredibly, generally positive person. But I've got to tell you, there's incredible darkness upon the earth and in the natural, I don't think it's going to get any better. I saw a forecast this week that the, in the UK, the standard of living in the next two years will drop 7%. We live in challenging times, but, but here's, see darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about. You all assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, your daughters. You will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. And it goes on. It's an incredibly, incredibly powerful passage. But I just thought, God, that this is, it's not a new, a new day. This is a new era in God's purpose. The scripture says that everything is beautiful in its time. So when we step into a new era, it's not a reflection on anything that's happened before. It's just, it's a new era. You know, the chairs were beautiful in their time. <laughs> but it's a new time. And be new chairs with new beauty. And I think they're a paisley, did you tell me? They're going to be... <laughs> not really. Well, it's wonderful to be here. And um, I don't know if you ever drive past a club... And some of you would have probably, even this morning, driven past maybe a football club or a golf club or a bowls club or whatever it is. And when you drive past, past a club, often the thought is, well, you know, that's for the people who love bowls, who play bowls. That's for the people who play golf. That's for the people who play darts or whatever the club might be. I wonder if sometimes when people drive past the church, if they go, that's a club for the people who play, uh, well, not play, uh, hopefully not, play church. And we don't, unless we are involved specifically in that particular activity, darts or swimming or whatever it might be, it's kind of, we don't even think of going there. And I wonder how many people think that about the church. How many of you know the church is the best kept secret? This community, this church... What an incredible, incredible sense of, of God. It's the best kept secret, but it's not meant to be a private club. Not meant to be a private club. 
Here's a question. If, if I were not a Christian, if I were not a follower of Jesus, and if I did not know or had never been to church, I wonder what my opinion would be about the church. If I were not a Christian and, you know, many people get their, form their opinions from media and social media these days. I wonder what my opinion would be if social media and the media out there was the main source, and you've got to realise that for many people that is. I would dare to suggest that it may not be positive. I would dare to suggest that that it may be a fairly negative perspective that I would get. Would I want to be a Christian? Would I want to be a follower of Jesus? Because so much of the ether out there is filled with negativity and judgmental opinions and a whole lot of stuff that's not helpful. How do people form their opinion of church and of Jesus? And from where do they get that opinion? <clears throat> and I just want to say to you this morning that it's for those of us here today who are followers of Jesus, we need to understand our mission. <clears throat> we need to understand that how to fulfil that in the world in which we now live. And how many of you know the world in which we now live has changed dramatically? Now, I don't mean the globe. I'm talking about here in, in this part of the world, in our country. It's changed dramatically. The church used to be embedded in our culture. It no longer is. And culture is not coming to the church. We have to go to them. And you've got to understand that coming to church is not the natural thing to do. Any more than you driving past the, the bowls club, unless you have a specific interest. So how do we overcome that? It's a good question. I'm not going to answer that this morning. Um, I want to give you one little insight though. I think many of us don't understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, we are now, if you like, culturally like on a foreign mission field. Our culture in this country was accommodating and friendly to the church. It no longer is. So we need to change our perspective. And as the world and our culture continues to change rapidly, the church has got to change to engage the world with the changeless message of the gospel, which is, we know, the love of God for humanity expressed through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just make this statement. Change is inevitable. Irrelevancy is not. Change is inevitable, but irrelevancy is not. And more than ever, and I want to, zone into what I do want to talk about this morning. More than ever, we need to experience and to see, and we sang about it this morning. I was so delighted just with that song. We need to experience an encounter with the presence of God. And we need people for all the negative press that there is out there about the church and about Christians. What overcomes that is an authentic encounter with the presence of God. Hallelujah. That is what we need. It's not about smoke and lights and I love all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you can have the best lights and smoke and music and all that and I love it. But what we need is the presence of God. And I believe that moving forward, we, 
will again in this coming season. In fact, about October last year, I felt over a couple of weeks, I felt a shift in the realm of the Spirit about October. I was preaching in a number of churches and just bang, it was like God turned up and pastors were talking about something's changed, something's changed. And I think something is shifting in the Spirit, hallelujah. We're going to see a greater outpouring. Now here's the challenge, and I'll talk about this in a moment. Don't equate that to maybe the way God's done stuff in the past. His mercies are new every morning. There's certainly a new season dawning and... With that in mind, there's this remarkable verse in Matthew chapter 13. And it's a statement at the end of some commentary about Jesus. It's just four verses. And one verse is remarkable for all the wrong reasons. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 54 to 58. Coming to his hometown, Nazareth that is, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Wow. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? And when, Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. You think offence culture is new? No, it's not. It's always been there. It's just it's now amplified through social media and, and the kind of world in which we live. But people always will take offence. It's just that it's in human, the fallen human nature. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and his own house is a prophet without honour. And he did not do many miracles. Wow. This is the verse that blows me away. This is Jesus who raises the dead, who turns water into wine, who, who opens blind eyes. And Jesus, he did not do, he couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith, their unbelief. The message says their hostile indifference. The Passion Version says their unbelief kept him from doing many mighty miracles. So here's the deal. The people in Nazareth, created an atmosphere. They created an environment where Jesus couldn't do much. Wow. Where he couldn't do many miracles. I don't know about you, but I want to create an atmosphere in and around my life where Jesus can do a lot of stuff. And in the life of the church, we want to create, and I love praise and worship this morning, God, God's in the house. Because we create an atmosphere for His presence. And it's not just when we corporately come together, it's in our own individual life as well. And I, I want to, for a few moments this morning, talk about creating the atmosphere for miracles. How many of you know that uh, in life, atmosphere and creating environment is actually pretty important? So, I mean, you want to have a romantic evening. You turn on the fluoro lights, turn up the footy real loud. Make sure, no, 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 no. How many of you know that's not conducive to a romantic evening? You have the candles, you send the kids out for the night, um, whatever. Because you have to create the atmosphere. If you are growing plants, 
you have to create an environment and an atmosphere that is conducive to the growth. And the same is true for it to create an atmosphere where God can do lots of things, where God can do miracles. Atmosphere, I've told this story some years ago here, so forgive me for those of you that have heard it. But it's stuck in my mind, the power of creating an atmosphere, because atmosphere is contagious. And the first time I ever went, I've been to numbers, but the first time I ever went to a baseball game in the United States was in Los Angeles many years ago <clears throat> at Dodger Stadium. Stadium. And, and if you've ever been to a baseball game in the States, man, do they know how to create atmosphere. Between each innings, ba 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 and you've got all the people are shouting and it's like, oh man, it's, it's full on. And like this atmosphere, got, I, I didn't go because I was a follower of baseball. I just wanted the experience. But I knew this atmosphere had impacted me and was so contagious when at half time I'm standing with my hand on my heart singing, God bless America. <laughs> the atmosphere was contagious. So we want to create an atmosphere where God can do stuff, where He can do the miraculous. Now, we can define a miracle, if you like, as the intervention of God in the natural order of things. Does that make sense? The intervention of God in the natural order of things. By the way, to God, it's not a miracle. That's just what He does. That's just normal for Him. To us, it's outside of the natural order of things. But for God, that's just part of who He is. How many of you have ever received a miracle? If you are, yeah, many of you. By the way, can I just say the greatest miracle is the miracle of a transformed life. Because every other miracle, if you get the best physical healing and praise God, and I've had it, and I've prayed for people and believing for it, and we're going to see more of it. But even the best physical healing is only temporary. Because, hate to be the bearer of gloomy news, but you're not going to live forever on this life. You're going to die. You're not getting out of here alive. I don't mean this morning. Um, <laughs> so the greatest miracle is the miracle of a transformed life, a heart and life changed by Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the greatest miracle. And we need to be able to create the atmosphere in and around our lives where people can experience that miracle first and foremost. But miracles rarely just happen. There's a lot of factors, numbers of factors that play a part in, if you like, putting people in the miracle zone. And we don't have time, but we could go back through Scripture, Old and New Testament. So how can we create the right atmosphere that releases God's power and presence? In this incident in Nazareth that we just read about before, it's interesting. And there's just one thing I want to pull out here. The Bible says it was their unbelief, their lack of faith that stopped God doing what He wanted to do. Now, that's a common theme right through Scripture, Old and New Testament. Unbelief or lack of faith. Okay. That stops and hinders God and it stopped the miraculous. So what does faith look like then? We don't have time. I've preached series of messages on what faith looks like. But let me give you one thing this morning. Because there are many points, there are many points that we could make about faith and 
what that looks like. I've distilled down to two key elements that I think are essential in faith and help create the atmosphere that's conducive to miracles. And these two simple things are attitude and action. Attitude and action. And these two elements are intrinsically related. In fact, I was going to go, you know, good preaching, you go point one, action, da, 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 sorry, attitude, blah, 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 point two, action. But they're so intrinsically related, you can't really separate them, so intertwined. And in this incident with Jesus, there's one evident attitude called unbelief that stopped faith. But what did it look like in this scenario? Well, I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like familiarity. It looked like familiarity. Let me, let me read to you these verses. You see, they, they said, How, who, who is this? This is just Jesus. How did he get these powers? Like, isn't this the carpenter's son? See, they thought they knew him. They thought they knew him. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers and aren't his sisters with us? And ba 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 ba. And based on what they knew, I want to tell you that's one of the great traps. Because we might, you may have been a Christian for decades or you might have been a Christian for two weeks. But I want to tell you, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, we don't yet know Him. Not fully. And the longer I go, the more I discover, the more I don't know about Him. And when I think I know Him based on my past experience and based on what I have known and understood, doesn't mean that was wrong. But what we so often do is we put God in a box. We have preconceived ideas about how He works, about how He does stuff. How many of you know God is bigger than how you think? Oh, I'm so glad about that. Because if, if God was no bigger than how you understand and how you think, you could be God. God help us. <laughs> But we have these preconceived ideas about how he moves, about how he works. And again, don't get me wrong. I love reading some of the revival history of our past and the amazing things that God did. But God doesn't have like a formula. And in a different era, in a different time, he'll do it in a different way. You look at how he, Jesus encountered people in the New Testament. He met them where they were at. Goes to the woman at the well. We don't have time to go to the different stories. But he didn't have like a preset formula. And sometimes we get these preconceived ideas about, about how God works and about how he moves. This is how God does it. And I want to tell you, familiarity will cause us to put God in a box. And limit him to our knowledge and our experience and our understanding and our thinking. Familiarity robs us of bigger thinking. Robs us of wonderment and appreciation. And that's not just about God, that's about life and about people. When you become familiar, as the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And it's very true. But with the right attitude, we can create an atmosphere where God can do, do some stuff. So 
All of God's miracles, all the stuff that God did, all have one thing in common. They all start with a problem or a need. Think about that. Every miracle starts with a problem or a need. Go right through Old Testament, New Testament. And the, the thing is, if you don't have a need or if you don't have a problem, you don't need God. You don't need a miracle. No need for a miracle because you're self-sufficient. Everything's cool. That's why I think in the coming days, as darkness increases in many respects and the confusion, the need in people's lives is growing and it provides incredible opportunity. Incredible opportunity. So if you have a problem this morning, you're a candidate to receive a miracle. Come on. If you have a problem, if you have a need, you're a candidate to receive a miracle. But the starting point is this. You've got to acknowledge that you have a need. You've got to acknowledge that you have a problem. And now for many of us, that can be difficult. We don't like to admit some of our problems. And I'm not just talking about physical needs when I talk about miracles. I'm talking about even maybe lack of self-control, negative thinking. We could list off a whole lot of things, short temper. And when we're confronted by life or people even about issues in our own lives, we will tend to defend or avoid. There's a whole lot of strategies around that. But there's an interesting story in the Old Testament. Some of you will remember there's a guy called Naaman who was a Syrian general. He had leprosy. So he's got a problem. I mean, a big problem. Big problem. And without going into all the detail, he, um, what stopped him at first, so he goes, chases down Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come out and see him. Elisha sends his servant out and tells him, go and dip in the, in the river seven times. Now Naaman was furious because, hey, he is somebody. He, he's, a, he's a general. He's, he's up there. And the man of God wouldn't even come and talk to him personally. Seriously, he was offended and um, basically says no. He's convinced eventually, but here's the thing. Eventually he does dip in the river seven times, gets healed. The resistance though initially was in his attitude, was in his attitude. Then when he followed up with the actions by doing what he was supposed to do, got his miracle. Humility is a key attitude. See, the acknowledgement of our need takes humility. The acknowledgement of our weakness takes a level of humility. How many of you, like, none of us like to be embarrassed. How many of you have ever been in an embarrassing situation? Yeah, I'd be interested to go around and tell the stories, wouldn't it? We don't have that long this morning. Um, I can think of a stack of them. Probably one, of, one, of, one that comes to mind, I, I remember being, uh, this would be 20 years ago, I was at Australia Fair on the Gold Coast and there was a pastor um, older pastor who wanted to catch up with me and that was lovely and we met for lunch in the eatery and we go and grab some food we sit down at the table and just as I'm about to start to eat he reaches across with two hands and grabs my hands to say grace now that's cool I'm cool with saying grace that's all right but this was no ordinary grace 
he thanked God for the food. He thanked God for the world. He thanked God for missionaries and began to list them. And, and you've got to understand, sitting there in public, holding hands with another guy just really is a very uncomfortable feeling for me. People are walking past going, oh. I'm sort of like, I didn't, but I'm going like, crazy guy. You know, it's like embarrassing. Embarrassment's a strange thing. It's a self-consciousness that causes us to hide or to want to hide from others. It involves our concern in relation to what others think about us. There's one thing I tell young people these days, if I had my life over again, I would worry less about what other people think, only the people that matter, only people that matter. But embarrassment's a funny, see, if I were to say to you this morning, who would come out here on stage and sing a nursery rhyme on one leg, do a pirouette. How many of you would come and do that? Give me, yeah, there's a handful of crazies. There's always a handful. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Now, most of you wouldn't. But if I said for $50, how many of you would come and do it? Oh, okay. Now, there are some people who would go, no. Nope. What if I said $1,000? Yeah, Pastor Phil's coming to do the dance, yeah. <laughs> See, eventually, because there comes a point where it's worth the embarrassment. And actually, and again, we're not talking about, we're not talking about humiliation going over the line, but we're talking about humility. And sometimes when it comes to even our acknowledgement before God, we, we want to just, no, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to expose our weakness but there needs to come a point where it's worth the embarrassment, where it's worth going, God, here's my issue, being open. So let me, let me finish this morning, not just yet, but let me finish soon. What time's lunch? No, anyway. Um, Mark chapter three, there's a really interesting story. And Jesus, again, he goes in another time, he goes into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Oh, you're kidding. Jesus, like don't embarrass me. He says to the man, stand up in front of everyone. Like if I were for whatever reason to call you out this morning and you've got some particular problem or issue and I were to call you out and then proceed to, as Jesus did, he then actually kind of, you're there, stand up in front of everybody. And then Jesus goes on to teach a bit of a lesson because this is a story, a two layers, this is a story about a religious system that really was more intent on protecting their rules and regulations than caring about people. And it's a story about a man with a desperate need in his life whom Jesus wanted to touch and heal. <clears throat> and then Jesus says, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, save life or to kill, and they remain silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Oh, 
Jesus, as if it's not bad enough that you got me to stand up in front of everybody, now you want me to expose my problem. Now you want me to expose my weakness, to stretch it. I'm happy to stretch out the good hand. But not that one. Like that's, do you know there's something going on here? There's a principle at work here. And again, we're not talking about having to expose our issues to people. But we're talking about a humility that comes before God and acknowledges to ourselves and to God that we've got an issue. And again, I'm, I'm positive. I'm always looking for moving forward. But you've got to acknowledge the reality of where you are now and the issues that you face. So here's a man with a crippling and embarrassing disability that finds himself having to expose that weakness to Jesus. But in so doing, receives a miracle. His life is transformed. By the way, weaknesses are our our reminders of our dependence on God. Weaknesses are reminders of our dependence on God. When we're strong... In our abilities, and I, th- I, think, I think this morning, uh, this, was, this was referred to, I think Darren referred to this earlier, you know, about when we're self-sufficient, we're tempted to do life without God. But when we're weak and when our own resources are exhausted and there's nothing we can do, we've got an issue, the best thing you can do is come to Jesus and go, I've got a problem, Jesus. I'm stretching out. My crippled hand, I'm stretching out my problem, I'm exposing my weakness to you. Come and touch me. And it's in our weakness that we most clearly experience God's strength. The Apostle Paul talked about that. By the way, God doesn't always change circumstances, sometimes He changes things inside of us. Either way, it's a miracle. (laughs) Just think about that. But admitting our weakness, we affirm God's strength. I can just imagine that guy. Stand up. Oh, Jesus, that's all I need. Then stretch out your hand. And you're standing there while he gives a lesson. And then he says, stretch out your hand. So again, we see an attitude, a willingness and an openness and a humility followed by an action, whatever it was that God told him to do. Stretch out his hand. Took the right attitude, followed by action. So this morning, and one of the team come back up. Maybe, Maybe you're here today with something in your life that has become withered or crippled like this man. And that's not a judgment about you. We all, from time to time, have stuff happen. I sounded to Pastor Phil and Krista earlier, I hardly ever in my life, I rarely get sick. But some weeks ago, I pinched a nerve in my hip, sciatic nerve. I've got to tell you, the pain, talk about cry out to God, help me. It's actually a miracle I'm, uh, I'm standing this morning because the past week, Honestly, um, 
I'd stand for five minutes, I'd have to lie flat on the floor for another five and that would get me going for another five. I'd come back. I know you'd have just thought I was prostrating myself before God. And probably many of you would have come and joined me. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> but I wonder this morning if there's something you keep hidden that you've not really been honest to yourself or to God about. Something maybe makes you feel inferior. You display your strong points to mask this thing. It may be a fear you have. It may be temper. It may be an untamed tongue. Maybe a secret sin. Maybe a physical issue. Maybe it could be one of a hundred things. And again, we're talking about creating an atmosphere in our lives that can release God's miracle. God's presence. By the way, can I just say, ultimately this is not just for us personally. So I go back to the beginning. This is so we, as we go into the world, can create an atmosphere as we engage with people that will enable God to do mighty things in their lives, do the miraculous. But it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us. So this morning, I want to tell you, He's calling for you today. He comes to make you whole. Sometimes all you got to do is stretch out your hand. Say, Jesus, here's my weakness. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Some of us here that need to encounter God afresh, the way this man did. Maybe we need to see God restore something in our lives whatever that might be. Right now, you can create the atmosphere for God to do something good in your life. And it's only one of number of attitudes, but certainly humility. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And as we expose our weakness, we stretch out our weakness to Him. And if that's you this morning, if there's something in your life you need God to touch, God to change, why don't you just right now, in this moment, tell Him, say, God, I need your help. I need your touch. I need whatever it might be that's in your life. And I just humble myself before you. And then He may tell you to do something. If He does, just do it. God, I pray right now, sense your presence in this house. I am Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.